0: Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you are listening. Welcome to the first podcast of A New Day in America, Candid COVID Conversations. My name is Kimberly Dowd, and I'm an attorney in the Orlando office of littler Mendelssohn, a law firm devoted to representing employers of all sizes in labor and employment matters. I'm here with my colleague, Nancy Johnson, who has been handling a myriad of pandemic-related matters for Florida employers over the past 10 months. Say hello, Nancy. Hello, Nancy. <laughs> Well, it's nice to be on this
1: podcast with you all. I hope that this is informative and helpful. As Kimberly just mentioned, she and I both work in the Orlando office of Littler, and and I have been since, I believe, last February, probably maybe even January, um, handling a lot of different questions that have come in from all sides and angles about COVID and
0: how employers can, can deal with the unknown. Nancy, I doubt there is an employer out there who has not already encountered a COVID issue, whether it be employee time off questions, how to keep the workplace safe, how to handle a change in business sources or clientele, dealing with new workers' compensation claims, or some other question arising from COVID concerns, and who now does not have some level of COVID fatigue.
1: That's right, Kimberly. And and since um, last January, February, and March, Kimberly and I have been fielding a lot of your questions, trying to keep up on how employers in the state of Florida can and should respond to these inevitably new scenarios, unique scenarios, in order to minimize potential liability for the companies and for individuals. As of January 15th of this year, so just just recently, there were already over 1,500, 1,573 federal and 889 state labor and employment lawsuits filed, which were identified as primarily COVID lawsuits. And as you and I know, we've seen many, many more that aren't necessarily coming in as COVID, but that have some COVID element to them and touch on some new problem that's arisen because of COVID. And Florida, surprisingly, has the third highest number of those filings of any state behind only California and New Jersey. The claims that we see the most weigh heavily toward retaliation followed by wrongful termination. Then there's a lot of workplace safety stuff out there, disability discrimination, as well as claims directly under the FMELA
0: and the FMLA and on from there. Keeping those claims and lawsuits in mind in this series of podcasts, we intend to have candid conversations about the latest COVID issues Florida employers may be facing to provide a brief update and new developments in Florida and other policies and trends that affect Florida employers. Today, we'd like to step back and discuss how we got where we are today, the current state of affairs, including what companies should be doing, and then take a peek into President Biden's first 24 hours as president as it relates to COVID and how that previews what is likely to come. Nancy, if you will, let's start with a look back at 2020.
1: Yeah, so back in January, on January 21st, 2020, actually one year ago from the date that this podcast is being recorded, the CDC confirmed the very first U.S. coronavirus case in Washington State. Just 10 days later, the the World Health Organization issued a global health emergency, and then on just a couple of days after that, the Trump administration declared a public health emergency due to the coronavirus outbreak. At that point, more than 9,800 cases and 200 deaths worldwide had been confirmed. That seemed like a lot at the time. Boy, have we come a long way since then. Just less than about three weeks later, the CDC then came
0: out and warned that COVID-19 is heading toward pandemic status. Yeah, and and soon thereafter, on March 1st, Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, declared Florida in a state of emergency after confirmation of two positive COVID cases within the state. This unlocked some emergency state funding. About a week later, on March 9th, Florida recognized the CDC's recommendation that families and individuals sick with coughs and sneezes engage in voluntary home isolation. At this time, the CDC also recommended state agencies prepare a response, including shuttering facilities.
1: Yeah and and while the the states were trying to do their own thing back to the federal and and global level on March 11th the World Health Organization declared COVID a pandemic finally. So that's that's when we first got pandemic status officially. 2 days later President Trump declared a national emergency which like um, Governor DeSantis's action unlocked more money for federal funding, though, to fight the disease's spread. That same day, the administration then issued a travel ban, so that uh, restricting a lot of travel, mostly between Europe and the United States.
0: And at the same time, here in Florida, Governor DeSantis was issuing almost daily executive orders. On March 17th, a new order directed toward bars. Pubs, nightclubs, beaches, and restaurants implemented social distancing measures, and on March 24th, he directed all persons over 65 and those with a serious underlying medical condition to stay home.
1: Yeah, and and as you know, from from there on and up through today, Florida counties have largely been allowed to do whatever they want in terms of of COVID pandemic um, restrictions. And Miami Dade seems to have led the way for the most part from from start to finish. Miami Dade still has the most comprehensive and restrictive rules set up to protect its citizens from the ongoing pandemic. And that's something that that everyone should kind of keep in mind if you've got employees down in Florida um it really does matter where your employees work because if you're if you're employing somebody in Miami-Dade you're going to have a lot different rules than if you're employing somebody up in the panhandle for example in Miami-Dade employers are still restricted from allowing per- in-person meetings of more than 10 individuals Employers with workers who test positive for COVID or who were exposed to COVID were required to figure out the CDC recommendations, the state recommendations, and the county or city recommendations, and that's still the case. So, um, it's something that that everyone should keep in mind as we're as we're making our way through this.
0: And that's that's a lot for employers to grapple with. You know, federal, state, and local um, recommendations and guidelines that that may be different from from one another. Um, As far as federal law is concerned, on, on March 27th, the Families First Corona Response Act was signed into law with overwhelming bipartisan support, setting up the Paycheck Protection Program loans, supplemental unemployment pandemic assistance, emergency paid sick leave obligations, as well as altering tax credits for U.S. employers in general. The FFCRA is a series of acts that address different facets of the COVID-19 pandemic. Two of the acts, neither of which has an easy name, focus on employer obligations regarding leave. First, the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act, or EPSLA, requires certain employers provide up to 80 hours of paid sick leave to employees who need to take leave from work for certain specified reasons related to COVID-19. These reasons may include the employee or someone the employee is caring for is subject to a government quarantine order or has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine, the employee is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms and is seeking medical attention, or the employee is caring for his or her son or daughter whose school or place of care is closed or whose child care provider is unavailable for reasons related to COVID-19. Second, the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Expansion Act or EFMLEA, requires certain employers provide up to 10 weeks of paid and two weeks unpaid emergency family and medical leave to eligible employees if the employee is caring for his or her son or daughter whose school or place of care is closed or whose child care provider is unavailable for COVID reasons.
1: That's right and and all these these new laws that provide for emergency paid sick leave are are kind of a shock in Florida as we don't have any state emergency paid sick leave and and in fact it's prohibited that any lo- localities or municipalities impose additional paid sick leave anything other than what the state might provide which is Um, Nothing beyond federal. So not only is it is it new to have additional paid sick leave obligations, but there's a lot of new employers here too. Because as you know, both of those acts that you spoke about apply to any employer under 500. And there's a lot of small companies that, you know, a lot of companies know about the FMLA, and a lot of those same those provisions are the same here. But now that um, there. This is for anybody under 500, so those employers that employ between zero and, and 50, this is all brand new to them. There's a lot of new lingo and stuff to learn, so we've been, been having to to relearn a language almost. As you know, though, those two provisions of the FFCRA did expire on December 31st of last year, so for the past week or so, those are no longer obligations, but there's more. <laughs> December 22nd, as you know, Congress was able to pass a federal COVID relief bill um, extending certain aspects of the CARES Act, which is the broader bill, including healthcare issues, unemployment, the unemployment PUA that you were talking about, and the and the FFCRA unemployment provisions. The emergency sick leave, though, did not get extended. There there was in that COVID relief bill in December, though, there was a tax relief act which Um, Directed a second round of direct payments, all of those direct payments to individuals that we've heard about. The extension of the payroll, the Deferred Payroll Act, uh, allowing for employers to not take out the taxable portion to employees' payrolls. And although President Trump at the time had asked via executive order for forgiveness of all such deferred amounts, the final bill did not provide for a permanent holiday on that. So that may have to get paid back. That's a to be determined still. But like I said, there, there were modifications to the credits for paid sick and family leave, but but it was not extended. So as you spoke about those leave times, employers sometimes brand new to giving any type of paid sick leave, they had to pay their employees. And, and those as part of that FFCRA, the employers could get a direct dollar-for-dollar tax relief from making those payments. Well, Congress did extend the ability for employers, if they voluntarily choose, to continue allowing that paid sick leave through March 31st of 2021, they will extend that tax credit. It's not mandatory anymore, but they will extend the tax credit if employers voluntarily choose to do so.
0: And now we're in the midst of an almost unbelievable COVID upswing. I saw this morning the CDC estimates another 102,000 deaths in the next three weeks, just in the US, bringing us well over half a million deaths. The positivity rate in Florida yesterday was back over 10%. And while the seven-day rolling average of positives is starting to trend down a bit, it is still far above where it was even in July when we were at our worst and the rolling numbers of deaths and hospital bed usage is still trending up. So what are you seeing with employers?
1: Yeah. So employers are still struggling with this. I've even had recently some employers have their first positives reported in a while, and I'm, I'm still getting a lot of questions about, well, this person's been out. And I've even had a lot of questions about, um, you know, some employees are getting sick again and, and, you know, they've already used their 80 hours. Do they get it again? Well, those, those are all very interesting questions. They're not, you know, a lot of this stuff was put into place so quickly that some of these questions were not anticipated. So employers have to struggle just like you and I do in in providing this advice and and going through these laws. You know, back in March, most companies, February and March, most companies were struggling first with layoffs and furloughs, how to get through that and just, you know, let people stay home for a couple of weeks and, and hopefully we'll be through this in a month. How to get work accomplished when employees were in isolation or quarantine. We all thought that we were going to be working from home for a couple of months or maybe up until summer started. Remember that? We all thought our kids would be back in school. However, now the trend is you know some some of the biggest companies in America are are targeting July 2021 of coming back. and, and that's even, I think optimistic to to some other companies. According to a survey released in December of 2020, so just last month by Upwork, and by 2025, they estimate 35.2 million Americans are going to be working remotely still, which is an increase of 87% from pre-pandemic levels. So a lot of these companies are realizing they're starting to figure out you know, how to make it work working from home. Likely, the estimate and and the the trend is that hybrid offices are going to be the future. Basically, they've figured out some of the some newer employers and, and employees. I'm sorry, some newer employees in in a lot of different industries do better staying in the office and working face to face, whereas some of the more senior employees are able to get worked on at home more efficiently. But whatever the future is, it's it's going to be it's going to be different from what we've seen in the
0: past. Yeah. Definitely. And in the meantime, with a new administration, comes a new day in America with a huge shakeup of the NLRB and the EEOC already underway on day two of President Biden's administration. There are a host of new COVID-related executive actions and planned proposals already in the works. President Biden launched his 100 Days Masking Challenge, asking Americans to wear masks for 100 days, This executive order requires masks and physical distancing in federal buildings, on federal lands, and by government contractors, and urges state and local governments to do the same. He stopped the withdrawal from the World Health Organization and appointed Dr. Fauci as the head of the U.S. delegation to the World Health Organization. He created the position of COVID-19 response coordinator, reporting directly to him, and managing efforts to produce and distribute vaccines and medical equipment
1: that's right. And then, um today, as we're actually as we're taping this podcast right now, and by the time you all hear it, this will have happened. But President Biden just announced and is signing in several new executive orders. I think there are ten new ones today. He said that he's, He is officially invoking the Defense Production Act to increase the supply of materials needed to get vaccines into arms and to ramp up testing even more. There's a lot of of money he's releasing to cover N95 masks and other protective gear, testing machines, rapid test kits, syringes. He's also signing another order, creating a pandemic testing board modeled on the war production board that FDR did way back in the 30s. This will expand testing capacities, including and and specifically targeting schools so that we can get kids back into schools as soon as possible. President Biden also announced that he will clarify to health insurance companies that their obligation is to cover covid-19 testings apparently and and I've heard this too is is many health insurance companies are not covering the testings if the person is asymptomatic so for example you know the the orders the executive orders from certain counties and states or or the federal government say, you know, an employee, you can't, you, you've had an exposure and you know that this person has been in close contact. You can't let them back in into your building until they've had a negative test. Well, that employee goes to get a test and then their health insurance isn't covering it because they don't have symptoms. Well, President Biden is going to make it clear that those need to be covered now. Other executive orders that he announced will create a public dashboard with real-time national and state-level data on testing, vaccinations, hospital admissions, He plans to impose requirements to wearing masks on airplanes and other interstate transportation. Um, He's already announced that he's deploying FEMA to set up 100 community vaccination sites in the next 30 days, and he plans to restore state-level funding for the National Guard's pandemic work, which had been cut by over 25%.
0: Also of particular interest are President Biden's announced plans to strengthen enforcement against employers who put their workers at risk of contracting COVID by directing OSHA to put out stronger guidance around virus prevention measures and go after the worst violators. President Biden had indicated he would order OSHA to create a temporary emergency standard for workplaces during the pandemic, but interestingly, the executive order only instructs the agency to determine whether or not such a move is necessary. He also announced plans uh, regarding the vaccine supply and the future distribution. This is in flux. The announcement on January 21st is that information was not only not shared with the Biden administration, but is unavailable. So they're starting from scratch.
1: Yep, and and on top of all those executive orders that he has signed and is signing as we're recording this, um, last week, so prior to his inauguration, he had already released a draft of his relief program that that he has proposed to Congress, requesting almost $2 trillion dollars. Uh, most of that money is going to go directly into the $1,400 stimulus checks that he's proposed going out as, as another, I guess, as a third round of stimulus checks to employees. But a particular interest to employers within this plan also includes some of the following things. So, so he he wants to supplement and, and you know, for uh, at the beginning, the first part of the CARES Act provided for $600 supplements to unemployment uh, to individuals getting unemployment, the Act that was passed in December only provided for three hundred extra dollars a week. So President Biden's proposal allows for four hundred dollars a week. So in between those. Part of this proposal also provides money for schools to reopen. That seems to be one of his biggest things. And and quite frankly, for employers, that's going to be a big relief because some employees who can't come in because of school child care problems, that will be a relief to them. Not only that, but obviously we all want our children to get back into schools and socialize again. Also of very particular interest to employers is this new relief bill that, that proposes raising the minimum wage directly to, to $15 an hour. And that, that'll be interesting how that all plays out. And then the last part of it is the, the um, $160 billion in funding for a national vaccination program expanded testing, public health jobs programs, and other steps to
0: fight the virus like protective gear, et cetera. And President Biden has also discussed expansion of paid leave. He proposes renewing paid leave provisions that were not extended from the ep FMLA. And the EPSLA and eliminate exemptions for big and small employers. This would provide 14 weeks or more of paid sick and family and medical leave up to $280 per day or $1,400 per week. And people who earn up to $73,000 per year would be reimbursed in full during their leaves.
1: That's right, Kim. And and as you know, the new proposal from President Biden would be even broader than the original EPFMLEA and EPSLA provisions from the CARES Act, um, because this would require employers to provide paid sick leave for up to 14 or more weeks and provide more money. And it also doesn't cut down to the 60 percent like the original act did, Under this proposal, state and local governments and employers with less than 500 employees would still be reimbursed with a refundable tax credit, and the emergency leave provisions would last through the end of September of this year. September of 2021 is President Biden's proposal. This time, though, this would cover nearly all American workers, both part time and full time. It would not no longer be just for employers of less than 500, this would expand it to all private employers. So, analysts have um said that this plan could cover 106 million more workers than the original cares act paid leave plan which excluded a lot of those companies that were not under 500 employees so that it would also include self-employed and gig economy workers and who would all receive you know tax credits too mr biden's proposed offering paid leave to sick people would include people with covid-19 symptoms people who are quarantining because of exposure, people who are needing time off to get the vaccine. So it expands it to that also. For people who are caring for family members who are sick with COVID-19 symptoms, caring for children whose school or daycare center is closed because of the pandemic, or caring for older relatives or adult dependents whose long-term care facility is closed because of the pandemic. So a
0: lot more people, a lot more reasons, a lot in, in even longer time periods. And as we're recording this, Congress is just getting back to business this week. Nothing has been introduced in either chamber, but we don't even have a working agreement on moving forward on businesses in the Senate, and the narrow majority in that chamber will almost certainly mean there will have to be compromises of some kind. There is almost no chance of this getting legs until at least February, but it is almost guaranteed that some version of this proposal will pass.
1: That's right. And, and you know, Democrats have already introduced legislation to make paid sick leave available to employees even without pan- a pandemic looming mandatory. So there's a very good chance that in the future, employers are going to have to get used to this. And it's not just tied to a pandemic. The pandemic has accelerated this, but the, the overall feel of the country and the feel of Congress is that there will be more paid sick leave mandatory that employers must provide for their employees. So right now, right now in this little window between january 1st and and march 31st well sick leave isn't mandatory for covid related absences this is this is sort of the time where what do we recommend i think you know and what i've told employers and a lot of employers so far is we recommend still paying if possible Through March 31st. The thing to remember, though, is so they're still going to get the tax credit. They're still going to get the dollar for dollar tax credit. But the thing to remember is is during this time, the way that that tax credit was um, was expanded, that you don't get another 80 hours. So if they only get the 80 hours that they've used once since last. June when the cares act went into effect. So if they've already used up their 80 hours, they don't get they don't pay another 80 hours. They won't get the tax credit for that. I still think though given the the almost inevitable possibility that emergency paid sick leave is coming back and 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 just to keep their employees safe, it seems to be the better, you know, the better reasoned decision to to go ahead and and e- pay for that sick time. Or at the very least, for sure, I would recommend that employers don't take any adverse actions if
0: somebody's sick during this time. Well, that's what we have for today. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Nancy and I will be here providing information you can access and listen to at your convenience on how the COVID crisis is impacting employers and issues that are sure to arise, including vaccination policies, how to make the long-term decisions about remote work, how to deal with exposures, and more. If you have questions or suggestions on topics you want to hear covered, please email us at kdoud at littler, which is L-I-T-T-L-E-R dot com. Or you can reach Nancy at najohnsonlittler.com.
1: Thanks, Kim. And as I just heard President Biden say right before we started taping this, things are going to get worse before they get better in America, but help is on its way. So I hope you all keep on listening. We're going to continue bringing our candid analysis and we'll keep moving on forward. Remember, it is a new day in America.